before we start this morning, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give to us. What we are not, please make us. In your name, amen. So, anytime you go into a meeting, right, whether it's at work or church or some school committee or something, they give you an agenda. Hopefully they give you an agenda because that's what good meetings are about. So we come to meetings at church and we have an agenda and then we know how things are going to work. We know what we're going to cover and we have an idea of what's going on. So I want to essentially give you the agenda for this morning, okay? So if you're taking notes and you're writing this down, I want to do this and, okay, Good, good Baptist preaching, Jim Jackson. Is Jim Jackson here? I don't know if I saw him. Good Baptist preaching, they all start with Ds. So if you think of the letter D, you'll have it. So we want to start off by defining a term. So we're going to define a term, and then we're going to discuss a problem. And then thirdly, we're going to deliver hope. There's Jim right there. He's proud. I saw a big smile on his face. So we're going to define a term, discuss a problem, and deliver hope. Okay? So let's just jump right in. If you were paying careful attention to the reading this morning, you would have noticed a common theme. Right? So here we are. Here's Solomon with his 700 wives and his 300 concubines. So let's start there. Remember I told you adult? Concubines would be women that Solomon kept for himself that no one else could have that were strictly for his pleasure. They weren't important enough. They didn't carry a political benefit. They weren't important enough. They weren't the daughter of someone influential from a foreign adversary. But a concubine was a woman that just Solomon kept for his own pleasure. Okay? So Solomon has 300 women who he's possessing that he is just using for himself, okay? They can't even marry him. It's fine. 300 women are just for his pleasure. Now, the scripture in 1 Kings says Solomon's wives turned his heart away from God. So Solomon had these wives, he had the concubines, and what did they do? They turned his heart. When we go to the New Testament reading, here's Jesus, and Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So the heart is what we want to discuss this morning. So the question is, when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, what does he mean by the term heart? He's not talking about the organ in our body that pumps the blood throughout our body. What does Jesus mean? What does God mean when he says, your heart turned away from me? So let's define what the heart means. Let's define when Jesus says this about the heart, what does he mean? So the, the heart, by definition, will consist of three things. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. So the heart consists of your mind, will, and emotions. So to put some practicality in, what do you think about? What are the choices you make? 
And how do you feel about it? Right? So when God says Solomon's wives turned his heart away from God, it changed what he thought about. Solomon wasn't thinking about God anymore. Solomon didn't make the choices that God would make. He didn't do the things that God called him to do. And his feelings, it said his love for his wives, his feeling wasn't his love towards God. Mind, will, emotion, same thing. So as we take Jesus' words in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be, what are you thinking about? What are the things you choose, and how do you feel? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's what your heart is. And so, as we go through the rest of the message this morning, remember that that is what we mean by heart. Got it? So we've defined the term, the heart is your mind, will, and emotions, and now let's discuss a problem. Okay? So there's a term where if there's a problem and everyone knows about it, right? We all know there's a problem, but we're like, let's not talk about it. Let's just pretend it's not there and let's just live like it's not there, right? And what is that term? Does anyone know that term? There's an elephant in the room, right? So figuratively, there's like an elephant figuratively in the room. We're like walking around it. Carol Anklum is using the vacuum around it. We're not really mentioning that there's an elephant, but we're just kind of dealing with it, right? We've just accepted that it's true. And let me suggest to you that as we read 1 Kings, there is a real big elephant in our room today that we have not dealt with, Okay? So, with a quick show of hands, if you're online, I know I can't see you. How many people have 700 spouses today? <laughs> okay, like, so to be fair, like, so last weekend before school, people might be out of town. It doesn't happen, right? You don't have 700 spouses. No one does, right? So it seems like this idea of polygamy and Solomon is this. It doesn't quite apply today, right? Like, we don't deal with that. You know, there's maybe some overseas and maybe some towns in Utah deal with that. But, like, by and large, it's not an issue that we deal with. And, like, why do we even bother with that this morning? So, first of all, let me say that... This description of Solomon and his wives and his concubines is not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is the Bible is not condoning polygamy. The Bible does not say Solomon had 700 wives, so it's okay for you. So we are doing really good with that. Just one wife, one husband. So here's the verse from Deuteronomy. Even so, he must not acquire many horses for himself or return the people to Egypt in order to acquire more horses, since the Lord has said to you, you must never return that way again. And he must not acquire many wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Also silver and gold he must not acquire in the quantity for himself. God told the Israelites 
don't take many wives. Why shouldn't you do that? It will turn your heart away from God. And Solomon says, ah, whatever. So we see that it's not prescriptive, but the Bible is descriptive. This did happen. Solomon did have that. It's not an analogy. It's historical fact. So it's not telling us what we should or could do. It's describing what actually happened. So now, let's deal with the elephant. Okay? Let's deal with the elephant that we know is here in our church, that we know is in our world, that we know is still here, even if it takes a different form than that. And let me suggest to you all this morning that lust is the polygamy of today. Lust is our modern-day polygamy. So when I say lust, what do I mean? So Moses came down from the mountain, right? He had 10 commands. One of them was don't commit adultery, right? So don't go and have sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse, right? But he also said don't covet what your neighbor has, so my neighbor pulls up with a really nice sports car. By the way, like that, on a side note, sports cars are terrible because I can't fit in them, okay? <laughs> so my neighbor's got a really nice vehicle, right, that I can fit in and drive comfortably and get out of. So my neighbor's got, a, and I'm like, I really would like that car. That's a really nice car. I could see myself driving down that. And now I've said, I want what my neighbor has. Lust is coveting another person for you to possess them. Let me say that again. Lust is coveting another person for you to possess them. Jesus said, also in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery with her in his heart, in his mind, in his will, in his emotion. Jesus changed the game from don't commit adultery to don't even think about it. He took the term, you can look, but you can't touch, and he says, no, stop looking. So I understand that there are struggles on all levels here, okay? And so I also understand that men probably have a greater struggle with this. And so if I use the term men, I'm referring to all of you, but so please understand as I do that. Men, when we're at the beach and that woman walks by in a bikini and we watch her walk by, that is lust and it dishonors God, and we have become polygamists. We have committed the sin of Solomon. When we see that woman at the office and we let our eyes linger, we are committing the same sin that Solomon did. When we go to that website, 
We are committing sin. We are dishonoring God. And we are like Solomon and his 700 wives. There's a verse in James. Let's bring the verse up. But one is tempted by his own desires, being lured and enticed by it. But when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. And so I want you to see something. There's a progression here. So look, so temptation starts. So you're on the beach and then you see a woman or man and you're like, that catches your eye. And then that leads to lust. The, the verse said desire. There are other translations that say lust. So then the temptation turns to lust and you linger and you watch. Which in turn becomes a sin which ultimately leads to death. Temptation, lust, sin, death. So what we have to do, friends, is we need to be able to, to be honest about the condition of our hearts. Jesus said in our New Testament reading, if your eyes are unhealthy, then your whole body is unhealthy. That when Sin doesn't just lead to death of it on a spiritual sense. The wages of sin is death. It does do that. But it will also kill your marriage. It will also kill the, the self-esteem and the, the love that your spouse feels from you. It begins to destroy your own connection to God. Temptation, lust, sin, death, it brings death on a lot of, lot of levels. Friends, we need to be able to control what we do. Trust me, we know that you can hardly watch a television or watch a movie without being bombarded with images, without being bombarded with what the world says is acceptable. Right, So you're watching and you're like, whoa, I saw that on the television. What in the world is that doing there? Listen, if, if there is a television show that you watch that causes you to lust and to sin, if it's so tempting that you have to fall into lust, which leads to sin, stop watching it. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. There's the elephant. It's sitting right here, friends. And it's, it's our hope and our goal this morning that we will take that elephant and we will evict him forever. We'll deliver hope, but this morning, if you have been on the, on the wrong side of infidelity, whether it's through pornography or physical adultery or anything like that, and you've been hurt and you've been broken, I have a special, I have something I just want to share to any of you who have experienced that. When your spouse sins against you in that way, Jesus' heart breaks too. The heart of Jesus 
breaks with you. Jesus understands. He knows what it's like to feel forsaken. When he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows the hurt and the heartache, and he is with you, and he loves you, and he wants to be close with you today. So the question is, how do we get there? So here's a verse from Hebrews that I want to use. Therefore, we must pay greater attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. So this is, by the way, if you're reading Hebrews, this is the verse. Keep this verse in mind every time you read Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews will make a lot more sense to you. This is the key one. Don't drift away. It was Jewish believers that were drifting away from God. So as a point of of uh, reference for us. Let's just assume that this pulpit right here represents the very actual physical presence of God. Okay? And then let's just assume that this pulpit represents, or the, the lectern in the pulpit, I guess, this pulpit represents the darkest fires of hell. Okay? So let's just assume that on this graph. So here we are, I'm a good Christian, I'm, it's Sunday morning, I'm here, I'm only going to take one donut at fellowship because that's what good Christians do, right? So I'm right here, I'm praising and Les did a great job, we're singing good, and all of a sudden, I take a glance at a girl at the grocery store. And I'm like, well, I'm still, like, God and I are still hand in hand, look at, we're close. I still love Jesus. I'm going to church next Sunday too. And then I click on the link with the website. And I'm like, see, we're, like, we're still pretty close. And then we continue and then we flirt and then we do all these things. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves way over here and we look back and I'm like, how in the world did I get here? How did I get here? How did my life get to this place where it is so broken? How did I end up with divorce papers and the kids are gone and I'm living in a one-room apartment and I've got nothing? And my life is broken and I feel abandoned. How did I get here? You got here with a single compromise. You said, it's okay, everyone does it. It's not a big deal. Well, you just created distance from you and God. And then you make another compromise. That the distance between us and our God and the path that Solomon found was not, was not a, just an immediate jump. He didn't charter a flight to the depths of hell. He just took one step at a time. A thousand mile journey begins with a, big, with a single step, Right? So we make those compromises. Let's think about this for a second. Let's go to Solomon. So imagine we're there and we go back to Solomon's first wedding, his first wife. And he's standing there. He says, oh, this is my wife. I love you. You're the greatest. Oh, like, I couldn't love you anymore. 
and they're happy and they're blissful and this is really great, right? We all remember our wedding days. I remember mine. It was wonderful. It was a great day, right? Then imagine the conversation Solomon has with his first wife saying, hey, you know, I love you. You're my whole world. God has blessed me so greatly with you. In fact, God has blessed me so much with you, first wife, that I would like a second wife. He had to have that conversation with his first wife 699 times. At what point, so culturally, it was acceptable. Culturally, that the, it would be acceptable to have multiple wives. We see Bible characters. We know that God, that wasn't God's design for marriage. But at what point was he just like, I just want more? And if you look at what it says in 1 Kings, it says Solomon loved his wives it doesn't say that Solomon loved his wife. So Solomon loved having the collection. He was a collector, like you might collect baseball cards, or you might have people collect all sorts of Herb Westland collects weird weapons and things like that. Like sometimes you just have a collection that Solomon turned these 700 wives and these 300 concubines into objects, into possessions. And when we lust and when we look at pornography and we, again, just lust and claim them for our own, we are turning a person into a possession. So I know you guys are mad at me. You're like, we did not want to talk about this this morning. This is not why we came here. We came to be inspired. We came to be uplifted. And like, this is kind of dark and morbid, right? So we define the term. We define the heart, your mind, will, emotions. We talked about the problem of lust, that it's not just a physical act, that what's in our hearts, what's in our mind really does matter. So we've discussed the problem. So now let's deliver some hope, right? Let's deliver some hope. So we've been through this, so a quick test. Who was Solomon's father? David, good job. Gold stars all around. Who was Solomon's mother? <laughs> I tricked you on that one. Solomon's mother is Bathsheba. Does that name ring a bell? Because if we go back, here's David. He's out. The men are off to war. He's off just being the king, right? He's doing whatever he wants. And he sees Bathsheba bathing. He lusts after her. He commits adultery with her. Has her husband killed so he can keep her for himself. Solomon, I'm sorry, David could have used the words of James that we just talked about, right? And so now 
Here's David's son Solomon falling into the same issue that his father David did. So you're like, well, that doesn't seem hopeful, but look at what it says in the very text we're talking about. It says, David was a man after God's own heart. That the man in Scripture that God describes, that God describes as a man after my own heart, had sin in his life. He had an elephant in his room, and it wasn't until Nathan came and said, David, you got to get this right, that it was fixed. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7, says, I don't do the things that I want to do. I actually do the things that I don't want to do because of the sin that lives in me. And the good things that I want to do, I don't do because sin is in my heart. So David was guilty of the same thing that Solomon was. And the Apostle Paul is like, I don't know what's going on. I try and stop and I don't want to do this anymore. And I keep doing it. So if you're struggling today, if you're like, wow, I feel hopeless and I want to give up and I'm ashamed and I'm broken, you're in good company. David, the man after God's own heart, and the Apostle Paul who God used to reach the Gentiles, they had struggles too. And there is hope. There is hope, friends. Because in Christ, we are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. That does not mean we are immediately freed from from our own sin, but it does mean that as we go about our days, he is moving and changing our hearts to be more inclined to him. So here's the deal. I, I just want to provide a couple points of application. If you're struggling and you're broken, whether it's because it's your own sin or whether it's the sin of a loved one, First of all, go, go home and read Romans chapter 7 and 8. Read Romans chapter 7 and 8. If it talks about how Paul is struggling with his own sin and the sin that lives within him. And then on a more practical level, if you see a temptation, if there's someone walking past, Look away and pray. Let me say that again. If you're tempted with your eyes, look away and pray. So remove your eyes from the temptation and then turn your heart, turn your thoughts, turn your thoughts towards God, turn your will, choose to make a, a choice towards God, and then feel what that is to be in communion, to make the choice to keep turning to God. Pray for your spouse in that moment. Take your mind off of the temptation in front of you and turn your thoughts to your spouse. Maybe some of you are like, well, I'm single, I'm not married, or 
I don't have a spouse right now, which I guess is what it means to be single. Pray for your future spouse. Young people, as you sit in here, know that you are at a place to influence your own heart today. Begin to make those choices today. Don't wait till you're an adult to start to work these things out. Start practicing that principle today. Look away and pray. And if it's a repeatedly happening in a movie theater, walk out of the movie. Just walk out. Don't sit there and watch it. Just get away. That's what Joseph did. Remember Joseph? Joseph is sold by his brothers, and then Potiphar's wife says, hey, why don't you come lay with me? And Joseph is like, no. So she grabs his cloak, and he runs off. She keeps his cloak, and David, or David Joseph runs away naked. It is better to run away naked and ashamed than it is to fall into sin, which brings death. If you're watching television and it, the images keep showing up, turn it off. There's a hope today, friends. You're not helpless. The Holy Spirit has made you new. You know what the beauty of this is? That we make those choices, and we all do. Even if it's not specifically in this area, we always have things that are, whether it's money or whether it's a, a promotion or things that pull our hearts away. When we find ourselves drifting so far away, you know what the beauty of it is? We're only one step away from God. Because while we create distance with him, he is following right behind us. And all we have to do is repent of our sins, say, God, I repent of my sin, I, please forgive me. But repentance is not just asking forgiveness, it's like a fact of turning. So we turn away from our sin and we turn towards him in faith. And when we do that, sorry about that. When we do that, he is right there. He doesn't make us beg. He doesn't make us prove it. He says, I'm right here. Your sins are forgiven. I love you. Here's the, the verse from, from Joshua. This is Joshua at the end of his life. He says, Now therefore, revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the God that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me... In my household, we will serve the Lord. We have a choice to make today. We can choose 
to follow after the gods of this world. We can choose to turn our hearts towards them. Or we have a choice to turn our hearts, our minds, our will, and our emotions towards the the God of the universe, towards Jesus, the one who paid the price for our sin. We don't need to live in guilt. We don't need to live in shame. Because in Christ, on the cross, he took that for us. He took it. In 2 Corinthians it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might have Christ's righteousness. As Christians, we carry the, the righteous works of Jesus. God the Father sees us as if we've done all the work that Jesus has done. He sees us as morally perfect, just like Jesus is. Let's choose today to turn our hearts towards the one who paid such a high price for us. Let's turn away from the world. Let's turn our hearts towards Christ. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we just thank you so much for the love that you express to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I confess that it's real easy to drift sometimes. It's real easy to, to compromise in little ways, Lord. And yet this morning we know that you are the God who brings hope. You are the God who, who saves us, who saves us from the grip of death. And Lord, I just pray that this morning that um, everyone in here would um, in whatever way they need to turn their hearts, their minds, their will and emotions towards you. And we are grateful for the opportunity to serve you and worship you this morning.